0: Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. The other night, <clears throat> about a week ago, I was taking the garbage out. It was late at night, about ten o'clock, and I, you know, I normally don't think anything about taking the garbage out. Um, <clears throat> our garbage containers are in the garage, and um, uh, so I, I went out and I cut the light on in the garage, and I was going to uh, get the first container to. Um, uh, take it um, uh, down our driveway and out to the street. Um, uh, At the time, I had a t-shirt and some gym shorts and some flip-flops on, and um, uh, I uh, uh, was just trying to get it out there in a hurry and get it back in. And so when I walked out of the garage into the driveway, I noticed that it was pitch black out there. Now, we don't have street lights in our neighborhood, and so um, it's very dark at night um, in our neighborhood. And I've walked down that driveway to put the garbage out hundreds of times, and I'm thinking, well, you know, it's not that far. I know where it needs to go, I can feel my way in the dark. And as I was going down the driveway a little bit, all of a sudden I remembered. About a day before that, or two days before that, I had come home in the afternoon, and uh, we had our streets paved um, uh, that week, and um, I went out, I stopped the car at the end of the driveway, and I got out, and to open my mailbox, and there on the road, right by my mailbox, was about a two and a half foot copperhead. I'm not joking, I got a picture, I can show it to you. Um <clears throat> and so I'm I'm sitting there I'm leaning over to the mailbox I don't know whether this thing's alive or dead he's not moving um uh, but I get my mailbox my mail out and um one of the road guys comes up with a shovel and um he leans over and picks that thing up with a shovel and uh, tells me that they had killed it earlier uh when they saw it well he had said to me You just need to be aware, they always say where there's one, there's another one. So fast forward two nights, I'm sitting here taking the garbage container out to the streets, pitch black. I'm in flip-flops, and I'm thinking, I don't know what snakes do at night, but I don't want to find out either. And so I go back in the house and I go up to the front door and I cut on the lights at the end of the driveway. They're not the brightest lights, but they were at least enough light for me to see if anything was crawling on the driveway. You know, when I cut those lights on and I came back out, my fears were somewhat relieved. Uh, my, my heart was calmed and uh, my, I got my bearings back uh, somewhat. That's what happens. When you've been groping around in the dark, how many of you have ever gotten up in the middle of the night and uh, you're making your way to the bathroom or the kitchen and you are so familiar with your house, you know that you don't have to cut a light on, but then all of a sudden you start thinking about, well, I wonder if... Maybe if you've got small kids, they left a toy out in the hallway, or whether there's a wet spot on the floor in the kitchen, and so you turn on the light and your fears are relieved because of the light that has penetrated the darkness. Well, I want you to think about that this morning because the same thing is true in the Christian life. When we grope around in the darkness of this world... It's scary sometimes, isn't it? It's confusing. We're not sure what lies in front of us. But when we walk in God's light, God helps us to stay on the right path. Friend, there are two walks through life that are available to us. There's the life and the walk of darkness... And there's the life and the walk of light. And there is a world of difference between the two. One leads to an eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Eternal separation from God. The other leads to eternity in heaven where God's presence will be with us forever Endeavor, endeavor. Where one spends eternity is determined by which life and which walk he or she pursues. And so I want you to think about that this morning as we look here in Ephesians chapter five, in verses eight through fourteen, where Paul tells us he's already instructed the believers there at the church in Ephesus and other churches to whom this letter would be delivered to, circulated to, and to us today who have uh, the uh, uh, privilege to be able to read these words, Paul is saying to us, first of all, we are to imitate God in love, in his love. We're to imitate Christ in his love. Secondly, Now he comes to say we're to imitate Christ by walking in light. You know, Scripture speaks of God as our light and our salvation, Psalm 27, 1. As an everlasting light, Isaiah 60, verse 19. Jesus himself is called the light of the nations in Isaiah 49. He's called the true light, which enlightens every man in John chapter 1, verse 9. He's the light of the world, according to John 8, verse 12. So to imitate God, one must share in and reflect God's light. Now, in Scripture, light has two aspects. One is intellectual, and two, moral. Intellectually, it represents truth. Morally, it represents holiness. So to live in the light... As Christ lives and as Christ himself is light, we are to walk in truth and holiness. Those who belong to God walk in light. John put it this way in 1 John 1, 1, in verses 5-7, through John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's what I want you to think about this morning and what I want you to take away from the message To imitate God, one must share in and reflect His light. Now, there are three practical truths related to this whole issue of walking in light that I want you to see here in our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 8, or Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 8 through 14. First of all, Paul gives us a contrast between light and darkness look in verse 8 Paul says at one time you were darkness Now, notice it's interesting he doesn't say you were in darkness or you were of he says you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord friend thank God Paul says you are no longer in your former state You're no longer in that state of darkness. Now, the choir has just sung so beautifully, I've been changed. That's what Paul was trying to get us to understand here. That if we're truly born again, if we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our lives have been changed. Not just a little makeover, but we have been changed transformed from a life of darkness to a life of light. And there is a big difference between the two. Paul is contrasting the believer's life before salvation and life afterwards. And in doing so, he states what should be obvious. A person who has been saved from sin should now live As a child of God. Now to illustrate the point, Paul uses the figures of darkness and light. Darkness represents light, the believer's past condition. He says, you were darkness. Now the past tense indicates a condition that no longer exists. He says, that's what you were in the past. You were darkness. For the Christian, intellectual and moral darkness are things of the past. They are no longer true about us today. Before a person comes to faith in Christ, their total existence, their being and their behavior, their mindset, their heart, their feelings, their thinking, their behavior, everything is characterized by darkness. You say, well... What does that exactly mean, Rick? It means that at one time, we were all children of darkness. It doesn't matter how good you may think you were, that your conversion experience, that your testimony is not all that um, um, you know, different, uh, the, or, or is not all that bad compared to someone else's. Paul is saying that all of us, apart from Christ, were darkness. We didn't simply commit acts of sin. Our very nature was characterized by sin. Those who reject Christ, they're content with darkness. They're eager to do wrong. They choose darkness rather than light. And they will forever have darkness as the atmosphere, the environment in which they live, both now and in eternity. Light, on the other hand, represents the believer's present condition. Look what he says there. But now, there's those words again, but now. But now, you who were darkness... Are now light in the Lord. For in the present tense indicates the believer's new spiritual condition, in contrast to what he was or she was before coming to faith in Christ. You remember know what Paul said in Colossians chapter one verse thirteen. Paul said, "God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us." To the kingdom of his beloved son. Peter says God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we who were once children of darkness are now children of light. And as such we should walk in light. You see light and darkness do not mix. They are eternal opposites. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, what fellowship has light with darkness? He wants the Ephesians to realize that they are no longer darkness, but they are light in the Lord. Friend, can you say about yourself this morning, I am this. I am no longer that. I am light. I am no longer darkness. I am saved. I am no longer lost. We are either light or darkness. There is no in between. You cannot be a half-hearted Christian. Let me say that again. We cannot claim to know Christ. And be half-hearted Christians. You're either light or darkness. There is no in-between. The great tragedy of the church today is this distinction has become lost. In other words, we don't believe in black and white anymore we believe more in gray. We don't believe that there is light and darkness. We believe that there is some uh, oh, something in between. And Paul wants us to understand this is not so. I believe that for many believers today, we have mistakenly been convinced to think that we can ask Christ to come into our heart. We can accept him as our savior and believe that he died on the cross to save us from our sins and then live as we choose. And Paul says, nothing could be further from the truth. You cannot walk in light and darkness at the same time. If you say you love God, And you walk in darkness. John says you lie and do not tell the truth. So the question for all of us who claim to be followers of Christ is this. Am I light in the Lord? Has there been a noticeable change in my life since my conversion? That doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are perfect. But it does mean that the consistent pattern of my life is one of light, not darkness. Which brings us in the second place to the characteristics of a life lived in the light. Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. The Christian has been filled with light. And as such, a profound change has taken place that affects our entire being. I want you to go back and I want you to think about the song the choir has sung. I've been changed. I bet you every one of us, when the choir was singing that song this morning, were singing it to ourselves in our hearts, I've been changed. It's a beautiful song. It's a stirring song. It's a song that reminds us of what is to take place in the life that has been truly converted and has been saved. But here's the question. In the quietness of my heart, in the secret places of my heart where no one knows me but God himself, can I honestly say my life, has truly been changed. That I am different today. Than before I came to know Christ. Friend that's the issue. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Well Paul says look at this in verses 9 and 10. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the three supreme characteristics or fruit of our walk um, uh, with uh, in the light, as children of light, he describes as being good and right and true. These are the tests of one's true faith. The first characteristic is goodness. That word good refers to moral excellence. Uh, it refers to being good inwardly and outwardly. You see, a good person um, is a person who seeks to do that which is good, that which is uh, the opposite of bad, and looks out for his well-being. But not only his own well-being, but he's concerned as well about the well-being and the happiness of others. He's not selfish. He's not self-centered. Rather, he is concerned not only for his own goodness, for his own well-being, but he's trying to do whatever he can to bring uh, happiness and uh, to provide help and to ensure goodness in the lives of those around him. This is the characteristic of God. We often sing, God is good, all the time, all the time. God is good. God is good, amen? amen. <clears throat> A good, and, and his goodness leads us to repentance. You know, the Bible says God is good to all. He makes his sun to rise upon the evil, and the good and he sends his rain upon the just and the unjust let me ask you a question this morning are you good do you seek to be good in other words do you try to do the right thing and are you concerned about those in your circle of influence family friends co-workers neighbors are you concerned about their own well-being that's good. But Paul says it's not good enough. What Paul wants us to understand is, is that one of the fruits of walking in the light, and I believe that this is where the church fails significantly today and why a lost world looks on the church and turns its back and raises up its defenses against us because rather than looking on the world outside our doors and being concerned about their well-being, we look at their behavior, we look at their lifestyle, we look at their attitudes, we look at everything about them. We see that it is the opposite of the way we're trying to live, but instead of caring about their well-being and their interest in trying to help them we shun them and not only shun them we criticize them and we treat them with disrespect and utter disregard and Paul says not the man of God not the woman of God it's good to live a good life to try to be good But as much as you're concerned about your own well-being, we ought to be concerned about the well-being of those people that we work with that have no regard for God. Those people in our neighborhood who may have never darkened the door of a church. Those people in our families who show no love, no sensitivity to the things of God. Paul says, one of the characteristics of walking in the light is that I'm not only trying to be a good person myself, but I am concerned for the goodness and the welfare of those around me, even those who are vastly different from me. That's the first thing. Then he says, the second characteristic is righteousness. Now, that has to do with our relationship with God. The first has to do with our relationship with others. The second one has to do with our relationship with God. <clears throat> you know, the Bible says we've been declared righteous, and we are thus commanded to live righteously, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Because we have Christ's righteous nature, we are to pursue righteousness. Now, what the righteous person does is righteous. It's just. Um, uh, While I said earlier, um, uh, none of us are perfect, but we are pursuing that which is righteous, that which is um, uh, uh, just, that which is pure. In other words, our objective is to be obedient to God, one who has the light of Christ Christ within him or her is never guilty of intentionally disregarding the clear teaching of God's Word. In other words, he or she knows what they're doing and why they're doing it. They are a righteous person because they know the law of God is perfect, reviving the soul, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 19. So... Paul says, the person who walks in the light, the person who is genuinely saved is not only a good person, but they're righteous. They, they recognize that their righteousness is from God. And therefore, they pursue righteousness to, as a way to uh, conduct their lives. Thirdly, the third characteristic is truth. Now, that has to do with honesty, trustworthiness, integrity. In contrast to the hypocritical, deceptive, and false ways of the old life of darkness. You see, the Christian has nothing to conceal, nothing to hide. The the Christian is not a hypocrite. The Christian does not pretend to be something he or she is not. He is what he is by the grace of God, very different from the man uh, whose whole life is lived in deceit she is not she not only speaks honestly but she speaks the truth in other words she tells it like it is she lives by her convictions he lives by the truth of god's word so we see if you take these three characteristics together Goodness pertains primarily to our relationship with others. Righteousness primarily to our relationship with God. And truth to our own personal integrity. In those three things, in these three ways, we find the fruit of light. Friend, without this fruit, what Paul is getting us to understand is there is no evidence of the life of God. James puts it this way. In James chapter 2, James says a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, one who professes faith in Jesus is to walk in light by practicing goodness and righteousness and truth these are the fruits these are the works that prove whether one's faith is genuine or not there is no such thing as a fruitless believer in our backyard <clears throat> we have solar powered <clears throat> little lights garden lights that surround a little fountain in on our patio The secret to these lights is that during the day, they sit there in the sun, soaking in the rays of the sun, and um, uh, during that time, the sunlight is converted to electricity, and that electricity is stored in a battery. Well, at night, the battery then supplies the electricity to those little lights and you walk out on our patio and um, you can see the uh, little fountain and you can see um, uh, as you sit there on the patio you can see uh, people around you they provide needed light now of course adequate sunlight is necessary to charge the battery fully in fact the directions on the box that those lights came in, said this, If you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? (laughs) There's a great spiritual principle here. Friend, if you and I want to shine in the darkness of this world, you and I need to stay Constantly in the presence of the light, of the sun. And I'm not talking about the S-U-N. We need to stay in the presence of Jesus. How do we do that? By reading your Bible every day. By praying. By being a part of corporate worship on Sundays or Wednesday or a Bible study group during the week by staying engaged with the word and letting the presence of Jesus surround you and soaking in his light into your life. And the more we do that, the more our light shines brightly to a lost and dying world that desperately needs the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What are those good works? Your goodness, your righteousness, and truth. He says, let your light so shine, your works of goodness and righteousness and truth so shine before your family, before your friends, before your co-workers, before your classmates that they see there is something different about you. There is this glow. It's as if Moses, when he went up on the mountain and he came down from that experience, they said his face was a glow with the glory of God. He had been in the presence of God. And what what, Moses, what Paul wants us to understand is, is that when we are in Christ's presence and we are in his light, there ought to be a glow about us. There ought to be something that the world sits up and notices through our goodness, our righteousness, and our truth that shines not only on us, but outwardly on others. And as a result of our shining, they themselves give glory to God through our light. And if we want to shine brightly, we must keep ourselves in the light. Um, that's, That's the important thing that Paul wants us to see here. Well, notice in the third place, The charge that he gives to believers in verses 11 through 14. Now, this charge has two aspects, one negative and one positive. First, the negative charge. Look at verses 11 through the first part of verse 14. He says, "...take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Instead of showing a spirit of tolerance towards the works of darkness, we're to take a firm stand against them. Let me just say that again. Friend, we are living in a day which we as the church are accused of being intolerant. Therefore, the world associates our intolerance with hatred. Now, let me just pause for a second and take you back to the previous text before we got here to 8 through 14. Because Paul says, it's one thing to espouse the truth. It's one thing to teach the truth. But don't ever leave out love. Love, He says, we're to teach the truth in love. Without love, the world is not going to listen. We must practice love. That doesn't mean that we have to be tolerant of everything that people do. You can stand up for what is right and what is true, what is righteous, what is pure. And you can do it in love. It's your attitude that either turns them on or turns them off to whether they're going to listen or not. And Paul says we are to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And I want you to understand something this morning. I This is one of the hardest things for me in the Christian life, and that is to speak the truth in love. Because we so often just want when somebody does something or says something that we know goes against the teaching of God's Word, We feel like we need to stand up and we just need to make it known that that is not right, that we um, uh, uh, are pointing out they're wrong and that they need to change their ways. And all the time, they're just looking at us and thinking, there is no way I'd ever change because of somebody like you. And what they really want to know is, do you care, going back to the goodness, Do you care about my well-being or are you just trying to make a point? Because if we're just trying to make a point, we know we're the same way. You let somebody come to you and try to make you think you're doing something wrong and you need to change, and they give the indication that they don't care about you, guess what? You have shut them off before they even get through with the first sentence. But if they genuinely show that they care and that they love you and they care about your well-being, chances are, not always, chances are, they will listen. And at least they will think about what you're saying. But that, regardless of whether they listen or not, that is no excuse for us being tolerant of the wrong And the sin that we see in our culture today. We just have to ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. And we have to find the balance of standing up for truth. Standing up for what is right. And doing it in love. That's the negative charge. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do. You say, well, what are the works of darkness? He just mentioned them back in verses 3 through 6. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, filthiness, profanity, crude joking. These are things that lead to spiritual death. So the believer is to take no part in such works of darkness. Friends, sin is never to be taken lightly, evidenced. Here by our charge to reprove it secondly look at the positive charge the latter part of verse 14 he says wake up O sleeper rise from the dead and christ will shine on you you ever walk into a dark room where someone is sleeping and you flip the light switch on you don't say a thing you don't make any noise you just flip the light switch on it doesn't take long for them to stir and wake up and they're going why'd you cut that light on Why? Because you've woken them from their sleep. They were comfortable in the dark. And you cut on light. And it woke them up from their slumber. And they're not happy about it. Generally. The other day I was, this past week, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday. I was, had an MRI done. Now, those of you who know me know I hate taking MRIs. I have claustrophobia, and uh, so I had my little mask with me when I walked into the Greensboro Imagery to get this MRI. And <clears throat> um, I walked into the room where they're going to—you know—I was supposed to have one of those open ones. Now they say they have those open ones, and I had specifically asked my doctor to request one of the open um, MRI machines. Well, I get in there, and it's not an open one. It's a bigger tube, but it's still a tube. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm glad I brought my mask. And uh, so I go up into the room. It's bright, the it lights. I sit down on the little slide thing, the little thing they slide in on, and I lay back down. She gets me all thing, and I put my mask on, and it is totally dark. I can't see a thing. Well, she puts these headphones on me. They're playing background music, and it's the way they communicate with you, you know. And um, she said, "Now you could be okay for about 20 minutes." First of all, I was that was a relief because normally they last about 28, 29 minutes. And she said, "20." I went, "Yeah, I think I can handle this." Um, uh, so they put me in. I'm in total darkness. I'm I'm listening to this background music plus the noise that sounds like a mild jackhammer going off. Those of you have had one, you know what I mean. So I've got all these distractions going on. I'm, I'm in total darkness and I'm doing good. About, I don't know, halfway through, she goes, Mr. Bird, you doing okay? I said, yes, ma'am, I think, I think we're okay. Um, uh, so, you know, it had been a little while, so I'm dozing off, you know. I'm kind of asleep, you know. And all of a sudden, I wake up, there's no music, The noise of the jackhammer, that jackhammer noise is gone. It's just deathly silent, and I hear her say, Mr. Bird, you can wake up now. (laughs) She says, we're through. I'm coming to get you. And so she comes, she pulls me back out, and uh, I sit up and I take my mask off. And I mean that room, I thought it was bright when I got in there, but it was really bright by now because I've been in the darkness for so long. And I thought about that the other day when I was looking at this text and thinking, that's exactly what is going on with so many people in our world today. They are slumbering in the darkness and there's all these distracting noises going on in their head. And all of a sudden, a voice, a gentle whisper says wake up wake up it's time to rise from this darkness and when we do we find out that the world outside it's really not as dark as we thought it was you know why? because the darkness was really our own we just assumed that the world was dark. And we're able to then live in this world where there is darkness, but we're able to move about in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, you want to know how you can tell whether you're a real believer or not? Is your world characterized by light rather than darkness? That's how you were. This is who you are now. Darkness, light. There is no in between. And the question this morning is, where do you find yourself? a standing